welcome to the panel scanners where tonight we're actually doing something that we love doing which is a top 10 list uh so this time i i kind of spearheaded this one tonight we are going to do top 10 comic book surprises and what i mean by comic book surprises isn't like you picked up a boy and went, oh my goodness this is amazing it's more along the lines of something was recommended to you and you grabbed it and went oh my god this is incredible this is way better than it should be. Or you read like a My Little Ponies comic and for some reason you were crying at the end. Or the guy at the comic shop was like, I know for a fact you'll like this and it ends up blowing your socks off. So kind of weird, but with me tonight is only Darren. I guess uh, Tim decided he had a deep, dark mission again. Is that right, Darren? I don't know what that man's up to. I always like to assume that he is an avenging avenger. That's going to be a name of my comic book, The Avenging Avenger. I feel like, like there might be a problem no, no, with that. No, no, that, that's my – trust me. Like, <laughs> okay. Like what the old Dan- Ranger Danger and the Danger Rangers. Um, but he dresses like Ace Fraley from Kiss. And his guitar is – his axe is his weapon. Um, if you ever hear – like if you start reading the paper, which is such a dated reference at this point, and you start seeing uh, gangsters and or – ne'er-do-wells let's say that are decapitated but it sounded real good uh, you'll know <laughs> then you'll know i've been sniffing the right uh path that's for sure that sounds about right how you but, feeling tonight you're doing okay you know, yeah that's it's a it's an interesting question considering i think we let it slip a long time ago that these episodes are usually our top tens are uh posted when one of us is sick or something's happened and the, these times let's hope that it's just a a, a schedule a scheduling hiccup. Let's just put it that way. That's why we're doing it. But at the moment, I'm doing okay, man. I'm doing just fine. How about yourself? That's good. Yeah, I'm doing. I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. I'm. I'm kind of striving in the world as it is, as well as you can, and trying to stay positive and reading a ton of comic books, which has been kind of nice, and catching up on some video games and all that fun stuff. Um, you know, I think my sanity is slightly gone, but I don't think I had much to begin with, so it all kind of works well, out. Well, I can verify that on both fronts. Um, <laughs> depending on when this airs, uh, have yeah. you checked out the ghosts of Tsushima? I have not yet. Um, I am actually yet. wrapping up Persona 5 Royal right now. What's that? Um, it is a long form JRPG with some like life sim concepts within it. Um, it deals with like the metacognitive thought process of human beings and diving into their mentality and trying to change the way that they perceive the world. That's pretty heavy. <laughs> yeah, I'm wow. like 110 hours into it. It My is very, goodness. very good. What, very uh, good. What genre of gameplay are we talking about here? Um, well, it, there's the dungeon crawling JRPG aspect of it. Um, there is a time management thing because you actually go through every single day of a month. Oh, um, it takes place over the stretch of about 11 months. So you literally go through each day um, and there's time management of how you spend your day. Like, who do you hang out with? Like, what do you do? What like do you buy like supplies? Do you do this? Do you do that? And that aspect of it is is kind of the part that brings a lot of people away because the 
and, you know, it's a life sim, and if you mess up somewhere in there, you get kind of screwed up in the game. Hmm. Um, because depending on how much time you spend with certain people, it gives you special abilities. And, like, if you spend time with the people that you go into the dungeons with, they or palaces, as they call them in the game, uh, they uh, they get different abilities, and they're they're more helpful than they would be if you spent no time with them. So oh, yeah. it, there's, a, there's a lot of that stuff. So it's it's going to be one of the few games that I'm going to platinum, and uh, I'm I'm really really enjoying it. Like it's 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 definitely worth the time if you're into that genre. Um, I, which I'm not the first person to say that. Uh, Joker, the lead from it, is actually a character in the most recent Super Smash Brothers. So, uh, I'm sorry. You said Joker. Joker. It's his code name when he's in the palaces. Oh, I see. It's the it's the protagonist. So instead of because you can name it yourself, of course. So gotcha. it's the pr- protagonist, but he gets the tag Joker, so they call him Joker throughout the game. I've uh, just not had the time to do any gaming, but I mean, children in the house and all. I was going to say you're a father. I am not. Yeah, I'm. If I was not, I would certainly be uh, deep diving down some of these games. Um, I still haven't really gotten that far into Red Dead Red Dead Redemption Two. I started. Feeling like you say that every time we yeah, talk. <laughs> I, I, I started playing a game called Man Eater. It was you were the shark. I, I enjoyed mm-hmm. it. It was it was guilty pleasure fun. I'm looking forward to, of course, by the time this thing airs, it could have already come out. Vader Immortal for the PlayStation VR. Tim sort of, uh, you know, pushed me along that uh, VR pathway. Plus, um, I really started to get into that when I read uh, Ready Player One. And uh, I pre-ordered Ready Player Two, so I'm excited about that. Mm-hmm. That's coming out November 2020. Okay. Um, so, but I really, and I, I wonder if you follow me on this. Red Dead Redemption 2, from what I played, is absolutely... I mean, there are not enough superlatives, if you're a gamer, to describe the level of detail in that. It is twice the level of detail from the first one, which was an astonishing level of detail to begin with on the PlayStation 3. And it's almost too chore-like, Red Dead Redemption 2. Mm-hmm. And there's been a couple of times, and I, I understand there's been some patches since I initially played it, that I'd be in the middle of running down some bandits or trying to evade law enforcement, and my horse would tire, and it would tell me that it's getting too dirty, I should try and run through a river. And I'm like, does that have to happen in the middle of what I'm doing right now? <laughs> and I, And I, it's like... I found that to be a little bit off-putting, but I'm also certain that I will automatically, you know, sort of take care of a lot of those things before I would go and try and track something down in Red Dead Redemption 2 or, you know, try to complete a side mission. Um, But I guess what Redman has said, and he's been on the podcast a couple of times as recently as March when we did our wrestling episode with Jason from Carolyn Johns, um, he put out a really incredible review of it, and I asked him straight up front i wanted to know about it because you know me i like that east far eastern kind of stuff kung fu samurai lone warriors honor bound systems i've always been into that and uh he said it's it's this open world like red dead redemption but it's also less chores to do and so i'm almost like maybe i should get into that get that out of my system so i'm a little bit more prepared because when i did uh you're talking to yeah you're talking about ghost of tsushima not uh not right yeah get get ghost of tsushima in because if you remember um you very accurately called me out i don't know if that's the proper way to say it that i jumped into horizon zero dawn 
because I was getting ready for Red Dead Redemption 2, which was very accurate. And I ended up loving Horizon Zero Dawn. And it was so good. based on your recommendation along with Redmond's. So I, I saw some of the gameplay for that one for the PlayStation 5. Looked good. I want to see more. Um, I, I played that. I finished it. I actually completed all the main story and Horizon Zero Dawn, which is the first time I'd done that in quite a long time. I mean, I didn't even get through that on Spider-Man as far as much as I love Spider-Man. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. I, I There's a bunch of games out there, but I'm absolutely in a position where I have to pick and choose for sure. I get it. I mean, even I have to, and, and I don't have that extra, the extra kid uh, aspect to my life. Um, I do intend to circle back to Horizon because I never played the DLC for it. And yeah. I bought it because it was on sale for like three bucks. I think, so I yeah, I up. have it too. And that's the one that takes place in the high mountains. Like in the, like, yeah. yes. And, and I'm, I think that it's going to lead into the sequel and there's no way I'm not picking up the sequel when I get a PS5. So did you happen to pick up the comic? Yes. The free comic book day one. You did. Yeah, I did. I did not. I read it I totally yesterday. Forgot. How is it? Um, it is a very Horizon Zero Dawn. I think I would have appreciated it a lot more if I had read it like concurrent with the game or relatively close to. Because it, follow it doesn't. It, it's not Aloy. It's oh. uh, it's another hunter who uh, you interact with during the game, hmm. um, and the Sun King. And uh, oh. I guess that's what the the comic book is going to follow. Um, it might be one of those things that I wait until like it's collected and trade and see how well it does. I, I'm interested in it because it's different. Um, and I mean, it could very well fall on a list like that we're going to be talking about tonight in the ah. future. That like I, I don't think it's. I didn't think it was that pulling, but only one issue. I love the source material. Okay, yeah, that, so, get you halfway so there, right? I, yeah, I mean, if the source material is good enough, maybe. I mean, I was expecting to pick up a comic that was Aloy, right? Like yeah. that's that's what I was looking for. The further um, adventures of Aloy. Exactly, and, and that and that's not and that's not what we got, which is fine. So I might need to go back and reread it. That's another reason I want to kind of go back and do Horizon again. Yeah. Um, and if I do, I'm playing it on the hardest difficulty because why not? Game is too good. Yeah. Um, but I got to find time for it. And I sell the giant back catalog, so. We'll see what that looks like because, boy, too many video games out there. And and I want to play Ghost and I want to play all this other stuff that's dropping. Well, uh, I'm interested in the Avengers game that's that's right around the corner. There's there's a lot. You know, we do live in a time where there's really no logical reason for a game to be bad, like unplayable. Yeah. Like back you know, 5, 15, maybe even 20 years ago when, you know, next generation consoles were coming out, it was sort of a crapshoot. You didn't seem oh, yeah. to get like a genre-defining class as something that leveled up, or it was average or bad. Now, and I, I always say, you know, that I don't have time any longer for average video games. Not even good video games. I only have times for the ones that are the best. Because mm-hmm. if I'm going to play, I have to have something. And in the last couple of the ones I played, uh, Spider-Man was just oh, this is, is everything you could have wanted out of a superhero game. Um, Horizon Zero Dawn was something new, and that's why Man Eater was good. And I've already stopped playing it. I don't. I don't even know how far along I got. I was like, it's good enough. I'm a big shark guy. I'm looking forward to Shark Week, or I watched it, depending on when this airs. Yeah, it's totally like killing me. A fourth wall or whatever. Like as you would say, peek behind a curtain here, which is yes. Yeah. 
It's very unprofessional of us, Phil. Um, it is what it is. So, We're just having a conversation. Yeah. So I don't know where I am with this, but uh, I may have played Ghosts of Tsushima by the time we get here. And, uh, well, I, don't know. I don't. I don't think you did. I will. I will stand by. You probably did not. Probably not. Considering um, the likelihood actually, that this airs is within the next six weeks is very high. <laughs> yeah, um, I actually uh, was just talking to my my buddy John about this this idea of games since we've become adults and just the mass quantity of stuff that is worth playing versus when we were kids and like you'd get a game or two a year and that was plenty because mm-hmm. like everything else was not good and and now like seriously it's like every month or every other month there's this new big game coming out and you're just like I don't. I'm an adult. Like yeah. I don't have time. <laughs> like so, <laughs> these kids are spoiled. Too many good games. That's, That's true. why they. Yeah. You know what I have I been guess... playing again late recently is the original NBA Jam. I think I may have mentioned it earlier on the podcast. Yeah. That is such a fun game. Well, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's fun. It's it's a pick up and play game, and that's what's so great yeah. about it. You can just at any point pick it up, do well enough that you're smiling. That, well, that's f- what matters. The first one I had is the very first one and if you recall there was a lot of licensing issues so the bulls are scotty pippen and horace grant not michael mm-hmm. jordan i don't i think that the uh the orlando magic is not penny hardaway and shaquille o'neal and there's a bunch of guys in there like i don't think charles barkley's not on it and you're like this is amazing but this just isn't so i ended up getting a, a the version from two years later where it's the Orlando Magic with Shaq and Petty. It's Michael. Is that Jordan tournament edition? Yeah, it's Michael. It's yeah. Michael and Scotty. Um, unfortunately, by that time, the Cavaliers were terrible. <laughs> so you had—I th- I don't even remember. It was like Bob Sura and v- Vitaly Potapenko, maybe. I don't, I don't remember, remember who they were. Um, they were, but they were really bad. But then you had Gary Payton and Sean Kemp. Um, so I, I'm excited. I'm excited to play a little bit of that. Uh, and my daughter's really she sits down and she mans up for me when I need her to um, she'll play a little bit of that she's learning how to play it and she's sort of gotten into hockey and basketball and I can't remember what it was but there was a hockey equivalent to that that was really good and I have to I have to research it but, I, yeah I don't know I was never giant into hockey so I'm a big hockey wasn't... guy I think you know that about me so no you like hockey no I'm a sports dude what can I say no I mean I never would have guessed mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, should we talk about comics a little bit? Isn't this where you say follow? Follow. Yeah. Horizon Zero Dawn. Follow. No. The beginning. Oh man, it's it's been so long since I played it. That's the problem. Uh, See, I played it at launch. So. Oh, that is. I didn't. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's uh, tell us about this one. I'm excited. I got a lot to talk about here. Yeah, so so like I said, these are just kind of things that surprised us in, in some way, shape, or form. And I kind of went on both both realms here. Uh, the thing that kicked this off is actually going to be my number one, but we'll get to that, of course. So we're doing it a little bit differently tonight, and we're going to see how this works. Is Instead of us kind of piling on our, our 10 through 6, we're going to go one at a time and just kind of talk about them a little bit. Um, so the, the, the first thing uh, – I'll do I'll do number ten to just kind of show how this is rolling, and if you want to kind of do two in a row, you can, Darren. Uh, so th- my number ten of surprises is a very recent book, actually. Um, there's no if you've listened to this podcast at all, uh, you know I'm a big Spider-Man fan, and I saw that Black Cat was getting her own miniseries or 
ongoing, they claimed at the time. And I was like, all right, like, I'm going to give her at least one issue. And this is the Jed McKay Black Cat from 2019, uh, maybe 2020. Might have, might have started in 2020. Uh, and it's kind of like a heist comic. And it ended up being unbelievably surprisingly fun. And it wasn't just this, like, I feel like frequently when we get Felicia, she is um, kind of just over-sexualized and kind of, like, shown to be leaning into that more so in her, her bad luck abilities. And this comic just kind of showed how unbelievably intelligent she was and how she controls the people that work for her so well. And just every issue has been this really cool heist issue, leading all the way up to the free comic book day, Amazing Spider-Man comic that came out very recently, uh, that she was talking to Peter on a rooftop about all the crap she's been getting into. And Peter's just in disbelief that like she isn't in jail again and like just the fact that has this nice flow and storyline and that's actually bringing a smile to my face even talking about surprised me i thought it was going to be one of those throw away garbage books throw a over sexualized pretty girl from on mainstream comic out there and people will buy it and it's just one of those things that it, it's it's knocked my socks off every single time. I'm every time I put the book down, I go, man, I keep wanting to try to drop this because it should be bad and it's so good. So, that sounds incredible. I mean, you, you got my attention with heist. I mean, yeah, you know, it, I'm a fan of that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, Felicia Hardy, she is one of those characters. I mean, obviously a derivative of Catwoman that is basically was invented to be over sexualized. And then along the way, fortunately some talented people got their hands on those characters and made them like essential to the mythology of Batman and Spider-Man. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I loved black cat in the game. I, I liked like seeking out those, uh, photographs. Uh, well, that was what it was like the little, the logos. Didn't she have mm-hmm. you, the little cats? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was fun. She's a great character. Um, so she definitely deserves, you know, uh, her own solo book. Um, probably one good of the, solo book. yeah. And I think that Spider-Man needed someone like that, like that's on the fence that, you know, just exactly like Catwoman. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan. So, um, I have a ton of honorable mentions if you'll permit me because fine. I skipped all mine. So, there were well, many. go ahead. No, there are too many. Like right. I, I just couldn't. I mean, it this, was stuff on stuff. Considering that we are a primarily a comic book podcast, this was the top ten that we put together that I think I'm most afraid to leave something off insofar as I don't know how many times this has happened to you. Like you'll do your top ten and then either myself or Tim will mention one and you're like, Oh Mm -hmm. my God. And it's not that you just left it off. Like it could be really high on your list that you just, it just somehow slipped your matrix. Right. Um, and like a couple days later, that's happened to me. And this is one that I am certain I'm leaving something out. That's going to be, it's going to hit me in a couple of days and I'm going to believe, I can't believe I left this off. Um, and in fact, earlier today, I was thinking about it, trying to like really rack my brain and go through some of the stuff I've read. And I thought of one. And then, of course, 
the three-year-old uh, wants to go play something. I end up doing something else, and it just—it's gone. I don't know where it is, and I know, I know it's—it's it's, in—it's it's in the front of my brain. So if I jump in and go, I'm just throwing this in there somewhere. It's in the top ten. I don't know where it is, but a couple I think you'll agree with. Um, okay. Thief of Thieves ended earlier this year in 2020. I should say it ended in 2020, and um, it was one of those things where it was everything I wanted it to be. The whole series was a heist. It was—it was about a, an art thief, um, and. It, it, the artwork from Sean Martinborough originally it was Robert Kirkman who was the creator and writer, and I knew it was going to be good, but it just blew me away. Especially its first arc was just, I mean, it was it was constantly in rotation of my uh, favorite picks of the year for as long as I was reading it. Um, East of West, The Wake, Nightwing from way back in the early mid nineties. Battle Chasers, The Letter 44, which I know you recommended to me, one of the great first issues I've read since we started this podcast. Um, and there are just so many others. Um, and I'm going to regret it. Uh, I'm going to miss something. But my number 10 is a bit of a tie because they came out concurrently, almost concurrently. They're right around the same time. And they represent the same thing. And it's the Star Wars... Thrawn Trilogy and the Dark Empire series from Dark Horse 1995-1992 respectively um, I did a retroactive review of Dark Empire in the Panel, Skeppers, Panel Scanners episode 4 um, and it's essentially these two, the Thrawn Trilogy was written by, it was a series of novels written by Timothy Zahn. Did you end up reading those or was, no, that was Matt I, who ended I, up reading I, I did. I read the, I read the first of them. Okay. Um, oh God. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have it. Well, I used to have it. I, I purged some books this summer. Um, but yeah, no, I, I loved it when I was a kid and I thought that was what, what Star Wars was heading toward. Yeah. Well, it was, those novels were officially, uh, deemed by Lucasfilm as the seven, eight, nine of Star Wars. That was it um, until, of course, we got them. And then Dark Empire, which was released by Dark Horse, which is the one I did the um, retro v review for, episode four. Um, wow. It uh, it also was the sequel to Return of the Jedi in the original trilogy. And I would say both probably represent better sequels than, than what we ended up getting. Um, but the artwork in both, especially Heir to the Empire is the first of the novels. I believe it was. I looked this up earlier today. Heir to the, do you know what the three are? Heir, Heir to the Empire is the one I read. I only yeah. read the first of the three. Then it was Dark Force Rising and The Last Command. I looked that up earlier today. And I read all three of the books. And when they and when they came out, which was like 1991 or 1991, I think was the first book. Um, so, um, it's the very first, the, the adaptation of heir to the empire trilogy or the heir to the empire is fantastic. The other ones are good, but the artwork in there is just so darn good. I, I, I don't remember ever seeing that artist again. I thought I did a retro review of those and I went back and looked and I couldn't find it. And I always wondered if that was in the lost episode, if you remember that. Yeah. Or, or if it was in the one pilot we did. So I wonder, I wonder if I'll need to revisit that at some point. Not anytime soon. I, I'm, I'm done with Star Wars comics for a while. Um, <laughs> you should be. Um, but I do think that it probably better represented, a better represent, 
adaptation of what we probably would have wanted from a sequel to the original trilogy if we were going to include Han and Luke and Leia and Chewie and 3PO and R2 than what we ended up getting. So that's my number 10. Phil? Yeah. Uh, number nine. Uh, so there's no doubt in people's minds that if you've ever been an X-Men fan, there was a major dry spell of good X-Men comics. It there it was bad. It was bad for a while. Like you'd find one every once in a while, a single standalone issue, whatever. So when I got back into comic books for this podcast, X-Men was on my list, but the only reason it was was because of the X-Men versus Avengers crossover. Do you remember that thing Um, where they were fighting each other? Yeah, and and that's kind of where I started the podcast. And because of that, I was like, oh, this is fine, whatever. It's crossing over. Um, I... A book came out around that time called X-Men Legacy, which was a continuation of an old title. You know how Marvel liked to uh, renumber. This was during the Marvel Now campaign uh, with the exclamation mark and everything. So X-Men Legacy during that time was a book that the art was just not great. Um, I, I remember flipping it open and I was like, all right, I'm going to give it an issue or two, but man, the art is not pulling me in. Uh, and this is my introduction to Simon Spurrier. And it ended up being this wonderful story about David Holler, no, you know, Legion, uh, running his own like ragtag team of X-Men. And it dealt a lot with like, this is kind of a running theme because I talked about the whole idea of people's psyche and and whatnot when I was talking about persona earlier, that it was dealing more with humans and mutants and their minds more so than the normal, oh, we're misfits, we're this, we're that, we're separated out from everyone else. And the idea of a a X-Men team that wasn't just going off and like fighting these big battles and they were doing more of these things and David was just trying to find what it means to be a mutant and to just survive and to take care of these misfits was just this fantastic, fantastic writing and led all the way up to X-Men Legacy number 300. That was the legacy numbering and that's where it stopped um, with David kind of vanishing at the end. Um, It's from like 2012 and well, 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 well worth the read if you get the opportunity to do so. Um, I believe if you have a uh, Comixology subscription, you can get the first few issues for free, um, as you can a lot of the uh, early like 2010 uh, X-Men books. And like I said, this is my introduction to Simon Spurrier, uh, a name that I kind of was magnetized to for a while after reading it uh where i'm actually going to talk a little bit more about him later but he's just a very different writer in the way that he portrays people in in his his writing the individual characters have such distinct voices they have their specific accents they have everything going on that makes you even more and more interested with them Uh, simon spurrier I have a feeling we're going to be talking about him a little bit later, but he wrote, he was the creative force behind uh, Spider-Man one that I think we'll probably end up talking about. Am I right about that? Mm, nope. Not going to talk about him doing any Spider-Man stuff. Is that being coy or are you serious? No, I'm serious. I'm not talking okay, about him doing. Didn't he do the Doc Ock Spider-Man? 
No. Oh, you're I, thinking, I, okay. Uh, yeah, Dan I know. Slott. Okay, yeah. Sorry, that, you're right about that. Sorry about that. Yeah, actually, <laughs> honorable mention, uh, Superior Spider-Man <clears throat> didn't make the list. Uh, no, uh, Simon Spurrier uh, did the Spire. Didn't you, didn't you read the Spire also? No, I didn't. I thought you did for some reason. I know we overlap on some random books. I thought that was one of them. Uh, yeah, he he's just he's very different, and you can really really feel when he is writing. And I haven't actually read anything by him uh, recently. I think he's been writing um, more independently uh, than any main uh, big two. So I haven't. I, I can't think of anything that he's on right now. I could be completely mistaken, and he could be writing something that's big name, and I just happen to not be reading it because I've been trying to cut back a little bit. He was doing the Dark Crystal. Right, you did read him with Dark Crystal, and he did a really good job with it, right? Oh yeah. So, uh, yeah. So my uh, number nine is X Men Legacy twenty twelve. That's the Marvel Now stuff, not not the older stuff. That's cool, man. I remember that Marvel Now. That was uh, on the heels of the New Fifty Two, was it not? Yes, and. Where there was the concern that it was going to be similar, and it was not at all. It was yeah. just kind of like the it, it was it was the fallout from AVX. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my number nine is uh, in a galaxy far, far away. Still, the Star Wars. If you remember this, this is from Dark Horse in 2013. That it was the was, original script one, right? That's exactly right. It was uh, yes. adapted from the original screenplay uh, before it was edited. Um, the original star, it was then called the star Wars. The, or it was the adventures of Luke Starkiller, a journal, a journal of the wills or something like that. It was a bunch. It was really strange before it was wisely edited. And in this particular one, uh, Han Solo was a lizard like alien. Obi-Wan Kenobi didn't exist. And that's really who Luke Starkiller was more the Obi-Wan Kenobi. There was no Darth Vader. Um, there was no Emperor. The uh, some of the production work, the Star Destroyers were much. They were more like what the Tie Fighters were. Um, you had Prince Valorum, and there was uh, the other character was General. I can't think of it. And it was uh, it was much much different than what we ended up getting. But Dark Horse produced just an absolutely stunning adaptation of this thing back in 2013 it was one of those things that you know one of the reasons i have said often on the podcast that comic books are my preferred form of entertainment is because um that's something that you could only get through comics like there's not going to be an animated series certainly no movie or tv show that is the only way you're going to get that is through comics uh, like some of the crossovers you have, but there's no other way you would have gotten that. And it was it was expertly colored and illustrated. I believe that year it ended up in 2013 as a finalist for my favorite title. Um, and it it's probably going to be a retroactive review um, in, in the next couple of years or so because it's something I, I, you know, I read it as it was coming out, and I think mm-hmm. I'd really like to give it a binge here one of these days. So that's Makes my sense. number nine. Uh, number eight. Ultimate Spider-Man once Miles Morales became Spider-Man, and that was Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, I mean, come on. Try to tell me that anybody but Peter Parker is going to be a good Spider-Man was something that made me just shake my head. I thought it was impossible. I thought the idea of anybody else 
swinging webs was terrible i also thought back to clone war the clone wars the clone saga rather uh and i was just like man they're they're going to butcher it it's going to be bad there's been this fantastic spider-man run that was kind of its own thing kind of piloting that ultimate universe and making me just love it and want to absorb as much as i can and they killed peter and this kid is just going to take his place who just happens to also have spider powers and then it just did something special so much so that he is like one of the only things that survived the ultimate universe uh besides the fact that the the reed richards is is a prevalent character in uh venom right now from the ultimate universe uh but it's just it was one of those things that kind of turned my whole opinion on, on its side because there's that thing of everyone saying that they're reimagining all these superheroes and recreating all of these superheroes to make them more PC, more well-rounded, just appeasing everybody. And this was the first thing that it was just like, you just need to shut up and let these creators do what they do. We've had this the same character forever, yeah, but it's okay to to take a different approach to it. Um, and I think that's why the Ultimate Spider-Man, Miles Morales, dropped on my list instead of the Superior Spider-Man thing, um, although Superior Spider-Man really did deserve a spot. It's just that it's something that, I mean, it, it changed the way people look at Spider-Man, right? Like, Miles Morales played a very big part in the Spider-Man video game that we talk about frequently, so much so that it's basically a DLC expansion when the PS5 comes out. We have... Uh, one of the best Spider-Man movies that they've made in years in uh, into the Spider-Verse that was Miles Morales-centric, even though Peter Parker was in it, it, it was still so good and it felt so Spider-Man. And, and that came from this. That came from this idea that Peter Parker does not always have to be the one behind the webbed mask. Like, it was just... It, it does. It does something. It, it's... It, makes you really really think and try to trust when new stuff occurs oh, of course this is happening. One what's going on? i was having some mic trouble i'm back sorry about that oh well, you're fine buddy it happens yep um yeah i agree with everything you said there and um in our 100th episode special we had I think we did a segment that was called what was our biggest surprise mm -hmm. and among uh, I think Miles Morales was one of the ones I listed right alongside the fact that you would have a Green Arrow television show that you build an entire universe around Green Arrow but I think even maybe ahead of that was the fact that Peter Parker would step aside as Spider-Man and I'd be cool with it mm -hmm. and Miles Morales is now an entire generation's Spider-Man, not Peter Parker. Yeah. I mean, when I talk to like some of my students, they're talking about Miles Morales. And I mean, some of them don't even know who Peter Parker is. And which is surprising because in the movie he is very heavily featured. But um but they and care he's about in the Miles. comic a lot too. Yeah, yeah. So. so I mean, I think that uh Miles Mor party Peter Parker to me is always going to be Spider-Man, but there's mm -hmm. definitely room for Miles Morales. Which is weird because when you think back in the history of comics, you know, they've toyed with um, other Batman, and, and especially in the main continuity, 
they tried to get rid of Bruce Wayne back in the early mid early nineties, and it didn't work. Mostly because you had a Batman that no one liked, whether it was in the story or people who were reading it. But I think Miles Morales is an eminently likable character, um, which is why it worked. Um, I mean, I love that costume too. I see that thing now. I'm like, that's oh, a damn good. It's costume, so man. good. Yeah. Um, it's one of my favorite Spider-Man costumes. I'm still like, I'm I am waiting for the day. Like I'm 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 worried because like when my son's going to want to go Spider-Man at some point, and I'm totally mm-hmm. known as the Scarlet Spider. But if he ends up wanting to go as Miles Morales, I'm like, all right, I'll go as I'll go as Peter. I'll give him Peter some love. Yeah, I I, I particularly like the spray painted version of it in the yeah. in the movie. Yeah, it's that so was good. so cool. Yep. Oh my god, fantastic! All right, Darren. So my number eight is something that you will um you've read it's something i turned you on to and it is nail biter oh buddy um now we can just talk about this together because it is it is a couple down for me okay well let's just wait till then Uh, i'll just i'll I'll, real quick i'll just say uh for me i knew i had had a feeling it was going to be good but Mm -hmm. i did not know it was going to be as layered as it is so i'll save the rest for when we get to it all right. Uh, then that brings us to my number seven. Then uh, deadly class, Rick Remender, um, and uh, Jordan Boyd, Wes Craig. Deadly class was one of those books that I was always interested in, but can never convince myself to buy. Um, Darren was actually there the night that I purchased the the large book one hard hard big book um at a black friday sale during a pretty difficult point in my life the bag uh, the bab big B-A-B. ass book big ass book yeah big biggest book um things massive it, it so much so that i almost want to get the smaller trade so that they fit better on my shelf but or you know the other big books as they release them uh but deadly class it, it I, it wasn't necessarily I, I think part of the reason I fell in love with it and it, it surprised me as much as it did is one I was able to absorb as much of it as I did at one time uh, that big book compiled a lot of it um, I think part of it had to do with the fact that it was a point in my life I was feeling a touch lonely and the main character is definitely dealing with that idea and kind of leaning into whatever is there for him but Deadly Class uh, the premise is uh a kid is basically alone and he gets uh, kind of drafted into an assassination school and he's makes friends with other people that are um, assassins and he uh, they, it basically wraps up the first arc where the final for the, the semester is that they have to fight to the death and whoever survives during that time uh, can move on and that's that that is the the whole overall premise but obviously there's character building and really cool artwork and it's a period piece that takes place in the 80s and it's just very 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 cool um and it just i knew it was going to be good but i didn't know i would connect to it the way that i did uh and i mean i'm still reading it to this day there it's still ongoing i'm pretty sure it's gonna be like most remender books where one or two issues out he's gonna be like all right we're done in like two so uh and and i feel like we're getting kind of close to that which i'm okay with i I think it's it's finding it's it's last few legs so my number uh seven was deadly class darren 
My number seven, how about this one? Batman versus Predator, Dark Horse DC 1991. Makes no um, sense. You know what? It does, though, because the Predator is, uh, you know, I would assume we're all initiated here, but for those who are not, it was a 1986 Arnold Schwarzenegger movie in, uh, about an alien who, it's a game hunter the alien races, they're all game hunters, big game hunters. And, uh, you know, it goes in after Dutch and his crew in the original Predator movie and um, takes them out one by one and uh, decides that essentially man is the hardest prey to hunt. And um, it was actually in Predator 2, and I'm not really a big Predator fan. I looked a lot of these things up. I've seen the movies. They're fine. But I know there's like a whole subculture of giant predator aliens fans and i get it there's fun stuff like the video games and all that um but it was really in predator 2 at the, at the climax of the movie where danny glover is escaping the spaceship and you see a, a wall of trophies and uh, and they, whoever did this the production designer threw an alien skull from the movie aliens in there that was one of the trophies and that began this whole crossover thing well a couple of years later you have batman versus predator um, and it was essentially the Predator going out as a big game hunter. It ends up going because there's this massive, big time prize fight between this boxer who was analogous to Mike Tyson in, the, in its in its time, um, and the Predator was going to hunt down and take out the boxer. Realizes there's bigger prey, and that is of course Batman. And the way it plays out is just absolutely fantastic. I remember the art being. Um, it's it being just wonderful, and the story itself was thrilling. I remember the climax of this of this thing, and I don't want to give too much away because it's going to be a retro review. I have it on my list of claimed retroactive reviews uh, to do someday, and I've read this thing a couple of times. Um, that I won't say too much, but the climax is Batman just shedding all of his armor and grabbing a baseball bat and going after this thing. And I'm like, come on, man. Bruce Wade doesn't even have the mask on. And he's like, I'm, that's it. Grabs a baseball bat and goes for it. Um, it is so cool. And I remember I got this for Christmas. And I don't know. This is how this is how well my mom knew me, man. And I, I don't even know if she remembers this. And I, I did ask her this about this a while back. And it was she knew I would like it, but she, the way she masked that I was getting it for Christmas is she rolled it up in an empty wrapping paper tube, which of course now you're like, Oh my God, no, that's not, <laughs> but I didn't care. I mean, I pulled it out of there. I'm like, Oh my God. And the cover of that thing was so fantastic. It was, um, I, I did not look this up, like who the artist was and who the writers were, because I, it was one of those things that as I was thinking about this shortly before we recorded, I, I came across um, an article about it or no, like an image about it. I think I, I typed in something like underrated comic books or, you know, something along the lines of what we're doing for this. And that propped up and I'm like, oh, my God, I got to get that in there. And it's definitely in the top 10 in terms of surprises, because your mm -hmm. initial reaction was it shouldn't exist. Right. It's yeah. just stupid. What are we doing? But then you read it like this. This is probably, I would say, one of the better Batman comics in the 90s. Um, and wow. I'm pretty, pretty I mean, we're talking a, a decade like the comics in the 90s were in bad shape. I mean. They were just. I I know there was. It was a pretty good sales period for a while there. But I mean, you you spoke earlier about 
the period of the dead period of X-Men, well, in the 90s was it, right? After mm-hmm. their absolute, you know, epic run in the 80s, it the, you know, the, the bottom fell out of that title in the 90s. Well, it, it was quantity over quality for for yeah. all of it. Like yeah. they were releasing 10 titles of everything yes. and you could find good books in there. It's, it's not that there was all of it was bad. The same as like like Batman. I'm sure it was in the same boat where like some of it was super good, but there's just so much of it, and the bad just outweighed the good. Yeah, and then this Batman versus versus Predator in a decade which saw Batman in the long Halloween and Dark <laughs> Victory. This thing manages to hold its own, and, and it's it, the '90s was a real good decade for Batman in a lot of respects, and because it had to be, because the theater Batman movies were in the theaters and popular, and they got progressively stupid, mm-hmm. more and more dumb as they as time went on. So Batman versus Predator was one of those ones like, listen, th- this is something, this is Batman right here. This is this is what it was. So that that's my number seven, Batman versus Predator. If you haven't read it, and I mean, you're a Batman fan or you're getting into Batman comics, don't sleep on this one. I think I want to read it. It sounds, it sounds like it would be a good, fun romp. Uh, all right, number six. Now we can talk about it. Nailbiter. All right. Uh, Joshua Williamson and Mike Henderson. Uh, my reason that it's six is I don't really – I don't particularly care for horror comics very much. Like it's not a general big pull for me. Um, I remember I told you this uh, – when you started reading Nailbiter that when it came out, I had issue one in my hand just because like the cover intrigued me. And I ended up putting it back, and it's something that I kick myself for to this day because I don't actually own the first two arcs of it. I just got the final arc, uh, the one that starts with uh, the nail butter sitting on the, the the house with the snow. That's oh, the yeah. issue's cover. Yeah, that that was the final because I got it because I was just so into it and I couldn't wait for you to keep lending them to me. Um, so I started buying it and ended up being the final arc until now where we get the – Nailbiter Returns, which we need to talk about at some point. Yep. But Nailbiter just did something that I didn't think you could do in comics. Um, the the suspense building to the fright, and it's something you and I have talked about a lot on this show. Uh, the that scene in the morgue with the the flickering of the lights. That yeah, we've talked about that so many times, and we'll talk about it so many more times. It, it's, it's just so it's such a fantastic piece of storytelling with very very minimal on the page like it just does so much and i just remember reading that after you were like phil you're going to love this at this one point and you'll know exactly what the point is and i remember talking to you and i was like the morgue right you're like yeah the morgue and i was like oh my god and it did it blew my socks off It, it was this incredible thing telling the story of this just haunted town that was just way better than I ever thought it could be. Like it wasn't that cliched horror thing. It, it had its own breath, and and man, it still has the steam. I don't know if you've been reading Returns at all, yeah. but man, it, yeah. it's still it's still got it going. Uh, so I, I'll keep talk. I'll quit talking about it so you can add your bit since I stepped on it before. Oh no, I mean that's that's the beauty of doing this. The concept is just you know Buckaroo Oregon. Who are we explaining this to? Gary when he was on the show at one point. Yeah, Buckaroo I think so. Oregon is a town that gave rise to an um, inordinate amount of serial killers through its history, mm-hmm. and revealing it, why that is. The and, butchers. Yeah, and oh my god. I still remember like how many costumes have we seen, whether they're through comics, on movies, horror movies, 
that are by and large pretty terrifying, but mm -hmm. we're fairly desensitized. Now, the guy who shows up in that with his large leather jacket with that, like, ram horn mask, I was like, oh, damn. Like, that freaked me out. And I knew it was just a guy. But, yeah. I mean, Mike Henderson's art. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, he's great. Yeah, and uh, Joshua Williamson, I ended up loving him. I followed him. He ended up doing The Flash for a while, which is one of the yeah. few highlights of the New 52. Um, and then he he's still doing one called Birthright that I love. And uh, he's, he's because of the creativity, the demented creativity, but still so well done. Um, and, and then the and the, the uh, Brian Michael Bendis uh, issue was really funny. Um, it, it's got a humor to it. It's disturbing in all the right ways that you would expect a horror comic to be disturbing, entertainingly so. There's a couple of times where you, you have to just turn the page faster than normal. You're like, I can't look at this for too long. And the quiet moments the, in the morgue, like we've referenced, the fact that it was in the middle of the day, the lights were on, then they were off. You're like, y y there's no way to describe it. It's one of the best pages of comics I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and I, it, it's certainly not something you'd recommend to our younger audience. Or And for those faint of heart like Tim. Um, so he's not someone who'll ever read it, but it's just, I'm so happy it's back. I was a little bit concerned that it was, uh, it wasn't going to have the teeth, but you, you, you very, you're very right. It does. I think I'm one issue up on you right now. Cause I don't think you've read three yet. No, I haven't. Oh, it's good. It's so good. So that was All your right. number six. That was my six. My number six is a tie. But I think you'll understand why, because there's sort of variations on the same theme to some degree. Is Micronauts, Rom, Space Knights, Marvel 1979, both of them. Um, both of them written by Bill Mantlo, uh, working his magic on a pair of toy line tie-ins. Now, I did retroactive reviews of both of these. Rom Space Knight was at our very first... Um, free comic book day midnight release party i think it was the first one and micronauts i don't recall i went to look i looked up a lot of these and that was the one i didn't get to but it's out there if you can you look at our show notes you'll find it eventually and I'm, I'm actually john the eponymous john from carolyn john's comic shop was the one who uh led me over almost by hand to the box um where micronauts was listed after i read a certain title that i told him i was surprised i liked which we will get to later i'm Certain you could probably figure that one out. Yeah, um, I know what it is. And I picked it up right then and there. I, had, I bought, I think, the first 12 issues. They were really reasonably priced. And I ended up, I think I went through issue 18 on Micronauts because I usually do try to get through the first 18 issues of something I mm -hmm. haven't read, but I want to do for one of our retros. Now, they're both toy lines from the 1970s. The Micronauts predates the Star Wars action figures with that three and three quarter inch uh, height. Um, I actually found I have one of those at, 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 that uh, I found lying around. I didn't know what it was back then, but I do now. And the storyline introduced uh, some Marvel mainstays, and I do believe they ended up going, they did go uh, over to IDW, but for a long time, the Micronauts universe existed within the Marvel, the Marvel universe. Um, there is a micro, there's still a Micronauts movie that is in pre-production. It's been that way for a good long while. 
And Rom Space Knight was something I was surprised because the toy is so bad. If you ever see the toy for Rom Space Knight, it's 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 awful. It's stupid looking. Um, but Bill Mantlo worked his magic, and, and Rom Space Knight was a really fun read for the first 18 issues. I enjoyed it very much. Um, one of the very first appearances, not the first appearance, but one of the very first appearances of Doctor Strange is within the pages of Rom Space Knight. Um, and it's basically about uh, a knight coming from deep space that ends up on earth because earth has already been invaded by aliens but they are disguised as humans and he has to sort of flesh them out um and uh, both of them were very fun reads especially for things that were just based off of toys things with no mythology that were basically put in front of bill mantlow and says here we need comics for this and he went okay i'm just gonna do what i want um bill mantlow one of my favorite writers i've spoken to of very highly of him many times in my podcast his swords of the swashbucklers is one of my upcoming retroactive reviews. I know he, uh, I did a retroactive review of Dreadstar a while back, which he had his hands in. And he also, um, Gary and Mark, who helped do the Transformers special, uh, found out that he was one of the first guys to help shepherd Transformers in the Marvel comics because he's a perfect guy to do that for. Um, so two things that I think that on the surface knowing that they're based on toy lines that predate Star Wars and the toy lines themselves predate the Star Wars line. The comics don't come out till 79. That the fact that they're as good as they are says something. Now, one of the things I, I never did get any feedback on that I put, I put out there, Baron Karza is the chief villain. I think that was his name. I, I, Baron Karza was the chief villain for Micronauts. If you go and look him up, he resembles Darth Vader very closely. It is important to point out, and if you think of Darth Vader, you looking at this up now, Phil? Yeah, yeah, I am. He I, I wanted to very see closely resembles Darth Vader. Um, and now think of the name, like Baron Karza, Darth Vader. The you know, very similar sounding names the na the the uh the the letters are also the same the number of letters in there have you seen it yet yeah i'm looking at it he the, it seems his energy is red uh all black yeah it definitely definitely has a uh, darth vader feel to it, it is for sure. very important to point out that the toys debut before star wars in america but they debut in Japan years before that. Baron Karza existed before Darth Vader. Now, I've never heard of anything connecting Baron Karza to Darth Vader. I don't know. I'm, I guess maybe I'm trying to thump my chest and go, I'm breaking this story right here on the Panel Scanners podcast. But, Phil, would you agree that it's almost impossible to believe that to some degree this somehow wasn't someone had to have seen this and adapted it um i mean have you seen the baron cars of force that looks like stormtroopers yeah and this predates star wars and I, but i've oh, never heard up. i've never heard of like through all the stuff i've read about or viewed or you know any, any time i've never heard about anyone saying that a lot of the production art from star wars was sort of lifted from micronauts 
Now, I know oh his God, Space Force mask. may have been after Star Wars, but Baron Karza, from everything I saw, because he turns into a horse. He can transform sort of into yeah, a horse. Yeah, I see that. Now, obviously, that's not Darth Vader. But if you look at the production design behind Baron Karza, it is almost impossible to believe that to some degree that, th- that, that it was just a coincidence that the two look so similar. Like, the only thing they took away is the horns. Yeah. And, like, the weird, like, multi-red nipples. Yep. But yeah, well you heard like, it. Yeah, maybe you heard it here first. <laughs> wow, that's that's wild, isn't it? Oh man, yeah, he does look very similar. But it, I mean, there are also aspects where he looks just like uh, the the Black Knight from like medieval. Mm-hmm. But it, it definitely that that mouthpiece. Oh my God, Darren, it's problematic. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I'm not saying. I'm not saying that someone out there did a little dirty work. I'm just saying there's a story there somewhere. I would like I, to know. I, yeah. Wow. All right. I got to stop because I am now just going down a terrible, <laughs> terrible circle of looking at these micronauts. Um, well, let's head into our number fives. Yeah. So uh, these are these are the, the big five, right? These are the ones that really did surprise you. So my number five, um, a little while back, oh, man. Maybe it's been about a year and a half now. I backed a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles board game, which, by the way, absolutely fantastic. Tons of fun to play. But what came along with that was the first few arcs of the IDW Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic. Now, I've always been a fan of Turtles. I think it's impossible to have grown up during the time frame that I did and not like have some sort of love for the Turtles. Like The toys were all over the place. The mm-hmm. show was constantly on TV. It was just one of those things that like if you were, if you were growing up during that time, Turtles was it. But it was kind of goofy. It wasn't like the, the Turtles that I was originally around was not like that. And I remember always hearing that the Kevin Eastman comics were really dark and gritty. And I and I remember reading them uh, when I was a teenager and I read them a little bit more as an adult. And the original ones, the the Mirage comics, they, they were OK. Like they were kind of weird and uneven and, and like they felt like they were missing something, but they, they had a good concept. So I picked up these IDW issues and i was just like okay like they're going to be fine they came with the board game i may as well read them and boy have i not fallen in love with a comic so quickly in such a long time right now um i think it's like 150 some issues it's it's been a long run um of this comic um and Sorry, 106, 150 is crazy. I'm just thinking of all the tie-ins and stuff. Um, but still, a Turtles comic that's run over 100 issues that makes you truly care about these characters, go much deeper than just, like, it's pizza time. Like, yeah, there's pizza jokes at some point in it, but, like, they're, they're, not, they're not on the front burner at all. Um each character is so individualized this this the comic itself starts off with Raphael being separated from his brothers since like his appearance as a mutant and trying to figure out how to survive on the streets and not really know what he is in comparison to everything else and it's just like this grueling like sad thing of being abandoned mm-hmm. and like those feelings just continue throughout the whole thing being a mutant in the world being treated differently because of it being just this being different that same like 
almost X-Men feel of being an outcast because you're different. And I mean, I've literally been brought to tears multiple times while reading this thing. And this is the thing about these mutants, right? That I remember we're throwing sewer grates at people in this this cartoon when I was growing up. There's this weird halfway naked man with a brain in his belly. Like all these things are just repurposed and recreated and done so spectacularly during this the story that I there's no end in sight and I am not upset about it. Um the current arc is um do you remember old hob Oh, Darren, yeah. Yeah, I remember. when you're reading it. Mm-hmm. So the cat who also happened to get uh, the ooze and transform around the same time and was like messing with Raph uh, when it started, um, he runs a group called the Mute Animals. So it's every – they're animals that were mutated, much like them, um, that – instead of being a human that was mutated, they started off as an animal. Yeah. And this, his, his group, um, him mostly, dropped mutagen – on a group of humans and transform them to know what so that they could feel what it felt like to be transformed and now there's this mutant town that they're trying to like figure out how to reverse the mutagen and all this stuff and it's just been this like really sad thing of people separated from their families and i don't know man like if you if you were to tell me that i would be emotionally connected to characters in a turtles comic before I started reading this, I'd be like, that, that's not going to happen. But I truly love this. Um, and Sophie Campbell's artwork is just unbelievable. Um, if you have not read this, you need to give it a go um, in some way, shape, or form. I was originally going to do it as a retro review, and then I just got so caught up in it that it's like I'm reading it concurrently, and it doesn't feel right. Um, so, uh, but yeah, man, like so surprised how much I love this thing. Yeah. I, I think I have the first 30 and, uh, I don't remember why I, this I predated the podcast, I think. Yeah. And I was still getting them. Um, it's probably one of the, you know, attrition sort of decisions. Um, that's cool though. I, uh, I remember checking out those, those original Eastman and Laird comics and, uh, I am, one of my retros, and it's something that you and I would need to do together. I think I want to find a trade paperback, or if I can get, even if I can get my hands on some of the original issues, doing the original Eastman and Laird ones because I have one of them, like an original Eastman and Laird, in my collection. I don't remember what number it is. It's a, it's a higher number, like in the twenties, I think. But I remember when the cartoon came out, and I remember the comic, and like the cartoon was very entertaining. Um, oh yeah. But the but the the comic was just something I had never seen before, and it was just so different. And it was never meant to be a Saturday morning cartoon, that's for sure, or no, an after school no, cartoon. No, no. Well, my number five uh, is Star Trek DC nineteen eighty four. This comes in at my number five because it was everything I could have asked it to be. And I retroactively reviewed the first twelve issues of this run way back in the panel scanners. Panel scanners. I did it again, episode twenty. And I loved it then for what I called it being an 80s adventure comic. Um, Now, when you talk about Star Trek, one of the things that I think it's important to remember that Star Trek was always intended to be a low-budget affair, which is why the stories were always, even for the 60s, a lot of times they were so tight. They were so, um, the stories were so experimental. I mean, obviously they had their, you know, for every city on the edge of forever, there's Spock's brain. 
So there's some camp and some stupidity in there. and But there's so much in that original series that broke ground, defined a generation, multiple generations of fans, defined what it meant to be a fan. I mean, you're talking about one of the first series, maybe the first series that um, a letter writing campaign saved from cancellation, not for long, but you got your third season and then it just went on to this legendary status. I mean, Star Trek, the original series is without a doubt, one of the grandfathers of pop culture as we know it. Oh yeah. Um, one of the largest and most devoted fan bases. And it's something that's going to be around long after its creators, long after us. Um, but it would be easy to dismiss the DC 1984 Star Trek title because it was a very important property in the 80s. In a post-Star Wars, the original trilogy world, Star Trek was starting to hit a few home runs. Um, it's, let's call, contemplative attempt. In Star Trek, the motion picture felt a little flat. Um, but Star Trek, the Wrath of Khan, I mean, is... I believe when we did our Star Wars, Star Trek movie ranking way back a few years ago, which I think yeah. was something we put together on the fly, um, I think Wrath of Khan came in the top three, and deservedly so. It mm -hmm. is, you go and see that movie, and not, you know, I'm not here to talk about Wrath of Khan. Now, the series picks up, written by Peter David, a, a writer that we've talked about many times in this podcast, and it picks up immediately following... Um, Wrath of Khan. So Spock is dead. And Bones, Dr. McCoy in this, you know, if you were, if you remember at the very end when Spock is dying in Wrath of Khan, uh, Dr. McCoy is trying to save him and Dr. M and Spock grabs his face and mind melds with him at the last minute. Um, and you start to see real interesting things in the pages of the comic where Suddenly, you know, there's a there's a traumatic event and Bones has to try and save someone and it's a Vulcan and he suddenly knows more about Vulcan physiology than he did before. He starts having these weird visions throughout and they're, they're very subtle and it talks about the transition of Sulu from helmsman to first officer to take Spock's place. Um, and then Kirk ends up mistrusting uh, a Klingon officer. It's the first Klingon officer they have. He ends up mistrusting them because of what happened with the Klingons. And it's it's a lot deeper than it ever really probably had business in being. And it was just one of those things. Like when we're talking about our top ten comic book surprises, those things that we picked up that maybe we weren't anticipating a whole lot from. And then you end up reading it. And then you're like, wow, this thing is way better than I'm giving it credit for. And that's absolutely, this is this sort of epitomizes. Like I don't even think you need to, do, need to have seen so much of this to pick this up and go, man, this is very well written um and this is making me forget that it's just star trek it, there's something else there's there's more to it here and it's right in the middle of that dc run in the 80s where dc could seem to do just no wrong like everything they touched was fantastic for a while there so that's my number five star trek wow. from dc 1984 phil your number four uh number four is something i've never actually talked about on this uh podcast giant days by john allison and uh, the art is Max Saren. Um, it's definitely outside of the realm of stuff I normally read. Um, 
I stumbled across it when I was I had some weird downtime. Um, I was at a very boring staff meeting and I was playing around with comicsology and I'd gotten the unlimited because of just wanting to get caught up on some of these like back issue things that it's expensive to get your hands on and a lot of them were free to borrow so I was like why not five bucks a month to get some back issues that would cost me thousands seemed worthwhile and giant days the first like six trades were on there um as part of it and I was like eh it's an Eisner award winner the premise is this group of uh, like four girls um, are in the same dorm in university and it's just kind of circling their relationship and their friendship and it's a comedy comic and it, it's just yeah. kind of this aspect of of starting college and like kind of figuring out who you are as as an adult instead of being a kid and leaning into some of the stuff that you did when you were a kid and realizing that you just can't do it anymore. <laughs> and just the way that it, it plays out, it's it's so lighthearted and serious at the same time. And just something that is through the the perception of, of a group of girls rather than guys. There are two male like uh, tertiary characters, um, but they are not the focus at all. And each one of these girls are so significantly different. One's like a tomboy who got really hurt by a guy when she was younger. One's this goth girl. And like they do, they have these these individual personalities and they're just they their little relationships and the way they bounce off each other and the way that they know how to respond to each other depending on the stuff just makes it engaging. And I, I remember saying, I'm gonna give this one volume and the next thing I knew I was like, um, I think I need a start picking this up at some point because i read the six and there's like two more volumes and it's getting hard to wait for them to become free borrows so i might have to to pick up the next trade it's just when i have time to read it um kind of knee deep in a lot of stuff but it, it just it was one of those things that did surprise me because if you told me comedy comic about four girls in college i would be like i'm good i don't need to read that uh it's not it's definitely not for me but i i know why it won eisner's and why it's it, it is as as well renowned as it. I mean, I hadn't heard about it until like I just stumbled across it. Have, have you read it or heard of it, Darren? No, I'll confess that I have not for either. It, and I mean, that's one of those things like that you and I talk about every time that we look at the Eisner list that we're like, man, there's so much stuff on here that we're just not reading. Like it, that always surprises me, given the fact that we've been doing this podcast for as long as we have. And you go down, and I feel like we get our hands on a lot of stuff, and we're out there looking for it. And then, mm -hmm. but there's, I guess you know we're in a world that so much is coming out there that, I mean, I guess we started this episode talking about video games. Like so much of it, you're just gonna there's stuff you're just gonna cross, it's gonna pass across, and you're not even gonna know it's there. Mm -hmm. And I mean that was one of them, and I was lucky enough to stumble across it. Uh, so yeah, Giant Days is my number four. My number four is the new Teen Titans. Why don't you take a look right here, my friend? I got the shirt on and everything. I see it. It's good. Um, and as legendary a book as this is, and not a surprise to me now, when I was a kid reading about Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, even Captain America, I was pretty keen on as a kid, I wasn't all that keen on reading about a bunch of sidekicks, even though I loved then and still love robin is one of my top 10 maybe even top five superheroes i just wasn't interested then i picked up a trade paperback around seventh grade and just absorbed it i couldn't get enough of it but the series had grown to immense popularity second only to x-men for a while in the 80s uh the decade of the teams so coming across issues then just wasn't easy 
But in the intervening years, I've managed to collect the first 40 or so issues. For more on the new Teen Titans, check out my retroactive review of the Panel Scanners Holiday Special 2018 Part 2. Um, now, that was only Part 1 of my retro. I expect multiple other entries on the new Teen Titans and by, by extension, Tales of the Teen Titans as uh, the new Teen Titans with George Perez and Marv Wolfman is, I mentioned on this podcast, and I do believe it's still true, that my all-time favorite monthly. It's just, um, again, it's just that 80s tone of a, just high adventure and, you know, super fun. The stakes are high, but they're not too high. That's something I'll probably talk about again. And they're familiar characters, and you love it so much, and it's so the characters are so easy to root for. In the pages of... The new Teen Titans early on, they find that is Cyborg's origin story, and it's so good. It's so well done. And it, 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 it kind of shows you that, you know, Cyborg, Cyborg keeps popping up every now and then. As in, he was concluded as one of the main characters in the Justice League movies. Um, and he's probably a very underrated character in terms of the deepness to his character, that he's very well developed. Um, and it's just one of those ones that I just keep coming back to. And it, it's one that as soon as I pick up an issue, it's George Perez's art that just transports me to reading comics as a kid. So the new Teen Titans is my number four surprise, basically because it's... I'm not going to say it doesn't have any business being that good. It's Wolfman and Perez. Mm -hmm. You know now. As a kid, I didn't know that. But we know now that's one of the top teams in the history of comics. Um, but, I mean, they're not, and of course, you know now that Robin was a sidekick, but and Kid Flash was a sidekick, but not necessarily the rest of them. But it's just, you know, it's just so much fun. And especially as a kid reading those, you're able to identify with the characters a lot more easily, and you can kind of see yourself in, in their shoes a little bit more easily, and they, and they definitely take a page out of you know Steve Ditko and Stanley's early Spider-Man stuff um, with and John Romita Jr. or John Romita I should say uh, with you know you know really playing into the teenage awkwardness and angst and all of that not too much of the angst like Spider-Man two or three but um, but you know definitely giving these characters real world problems which was you know something that those Marvel comics are super certainly more famous for than in DC, but DC realizes at this point, listen, if we're going to do this, our, our template isn't us in this particular case. It's definitely what was going on with Spider-Man and X-Men to some degree. Mm -hmm. um, of course, for those who were interested, I also did a review of the X-Men Teen Titans crossover from the 1980s, which I promptly lost at our trivia contest. Um, but I'll get it again. And, and that was one of the ones where <laughs> it's so funny. One of the things we always joke about you and I is like, we love the X-Men, but Cyclops sucks. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, when you read that, it's like they team up and literally in the pages of the comic, um, Cyclops starts to bark orders and Robin's like, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> and he sort of takes over and even Wolverine's like, yeah, listen to the kid with the, with the underwear. Cause he seems, he seems to know what's going on here. So that it was even really cool to see like, you know, your weakest link is your leader. And then Robin comes in and goes, step aside. So I got this. Um, but it, it's just, just such a wonderful comic. And it's it not, it's really become one of those that, you know, for a comic book aficionado as, as we are, it's, it's almost essential reading at this point. Bill. 
Uh, my number three is uh, Black Science. Rick Remender, Moreno Denizio, and Matteo Scalera. Um, man, Black Science. Uh, I've talked about it a lot on this podcast, mm-hmm. so I don't think I need to spend a ridiculous amount of time. But It was your pick of the year surprised. once, wasn't it? I'm sorry? It was your pick of the year once, wasn't it? Uh, I think twice. Twice. I know it was nominated um, many times. Yes. Uh, so... <sighs> The reason that Black Science was a surprise is, one, um, at that point, my only other um, interaction with Rick Remender was X-Force, uh, his fantastic run in X-Force. Uh, if you haven't read that, you are doing yourself a disservice. Um, so I didn't know about him doing his own like thing. I didn't – at this point, obviously, he had released a bunch of other stuff I had not read. Um, I was still kind of a big – marvel only reader i was reading very few things outside of it and the idea of following around a scientist jumping through dimensions sounded interesting but i had doctor who for that so i I, it wasn't really filling a niche that i thought i i needed and then i i picked this thing up and i mean if you've read recommender you know his the way he handles characters and that it's all there's always some dark brooding thing and he throws twists in and his pacing is this really weird like it hits hard and then it dies and then all of a sudden you get smacked in the face with everything that you thought had died and it wasn't really dead at all and the, the roller coaster ride of that book is what surprised me because uh, if you if you have listened to us since the beginning you would have heard me multiple times when we were doing stick stuck pick sayonara that i was very close to dropping it what three or four times darren yeah like it, it didn't it didn't keep me the whole time and then i read that final issue and closed the book and saw the white page of of conclusion and i had a tear in my eye and i was like oh my god like that was that was something special and it is. It's something special, and that is why it is as high on my list as it is. Like I said, I could talk forever about it. I could talk about every little nuance, every onion of the metaverse, of of the omniverse, of everything that's going on in it, all the different versions of the main character and the siblings, the fact that one of them becomes a superhero during it, even though it, we- it weirdly doesn't fit but does fit. Uh, it, it's just there's a lot. There's a lot to it, and well worth the read. Um, so my number three is Black Science. Yeah, I know that's one that uh, you were real close to dropping multiple times, and I think I maybe may have even counseled you into doing so. And then all of a sudden, you're like, "Oh my god, dude, it's like way back on my on my top <laughs> yeah. ten again." Um, my number three, sorry, mm-hmm. you're fine, is the Mercenary C. Ah. If ever there was a book that was simply cool, just bled coolness, it was the Mercenary Sea. Two parts Indiana Jones, one part Star Trek, one part any submarine movie you've ever seen. A smuggling crew hijacks a Nazi sub and patrols the oceans, creating havoc for the Third Reich just ahead of the U.S. involvement in World War II. I don't know what else I need to tell you. I mean, come on. It's kind of (laughs) high adventure on the high seas, it only went eight issues. And I remember being really um, upset that that's as long as, as long as it lasted. And it's unfortunate because it should have been one that's still going today. It was something that just had a hook. And it was everything I just think I love about 
comics, and it just felt like this thing was destined for the big screen, um, and it just never, of course, never materialized, and it never even made it past, um, it never even made it to ten issues. And I do remember that I was um, very keen because they said that they weren't able to do a monthly. But they wanted to continue, and they said they we're going to probably do it in chunks, like maybe, maybe like specials. And of course, never nothing ever else came out, and there's no sign of it again. But it's just unfortunate because it's one of those things. Like I felt like I was so excited. I know it was my pick of the year that year. I was so excited mm-hmm. for this, and it just, it just, it was just gone. Aha! And that made me think of something that was going to end up in my um, surprises. Not this high. But if you don't mind, I want to go ahead and I want to talk about um, Sword Quest. Now, oh, yeah. It would definitely have been in my top ten. And something that I did a retroactive review of Sword Quest, which I'll actually tell you about and more about in a second. Um, actually, you know what? I'll wait because I'm going to get to a little bit of part of this. So forgive me for uh, okay. jumping on you there, Phil. But, yeah, oh, Mercenary fine. C, if you can find it, good luck finding it. Um, <laughs> I've got it. But uh, I don't know how – I don't even know how – if, if, if even people remember this, it's probably why it's not around. But that's my number three. Phil, your number two. Uh, so I, I'm actually going to drop an honorable mention here uh, oh, because it's it's related to it. Um, my honorable mention is Hawkeye, the uh, Matt Fraction, David Aya from yes. Hawkeye. So good. There's, yeah, and like I I had no real interest in Hawkeye before that, and I again picked it up on a whim because it was marvel now man it was like this thing that was just on a shelf and picked it up and man fell in love with it that is still one of my all-time favorite runs of things that we have read since we started this podcast but my actual number two surprise it's related to that and it's something that you made me read with you darren and that is green arrow the longbow hunters uh story and art by mike grell that thing one, I've never – I that was the first Green Arrow thing I think I've read in my life. I may have read one or two other things like in passing but never seriously. And I remember you wanted me to read it with you. Well, actually you said you were going to read it and I was like, well, I can get my hands on it and I decided to read it with you. And yeah. I was I was pleasantly surprised with the way that they handled an older hero, uh, a non-powered hero for that and – and just that, like, the whole thing just felt so human, and, like, he felt so human, and so – it was just so good, man. Like, we've talked – again, another thing we've just talked about so much on this podcast since we had our retro review, which is only, what, maybe 10 episodes back, something like that? Not it, even. It, it was wasn't, March. It was – yeah, it wasn't that long ago. March or February. Um, it was before the shutdown, so I think it was February. Okay. So, so yeah, you know, probably around, like – eight to ten episodes ago so mm-hmm. uh of us recording this at least whoops um but uh yeah, it just know. yeah it, it is what it is um march of 2020 february 2020 this could end up airing in 2025 for all we know that's true uh but yeah i just it, it surprised me how much i enjoyed it i mean i binge read the whole thing in one sitting like i i was I was so in. I was so in after the first issue, and it surprised me because I really thought the whole time I'd be like, uh, "Hawkeye was better. Uh, Hawkeye was better. Uh, Hawkeye was just different. It was a different story. It was a different character." And I know, I know that Hawkeye borrows heavily from Green Arrow. We've talked about this in the past, but 
reading those two things, they feel very different. I think Clint Barton feels like a totally different character than him. Um, but boy, boy, is that a good read. And again, very easy to get your hands on. Yes, uh, it's um, it's something that it grabs you right away. And when I did the review, I remember saying that um, he he admits his age. And he's in his mid forties, and that's not something you saw from comics. You, 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 you know, I, I think I recall reading that. Um, it was it was episode one thirteen that our review is in mm-hmm. of our podcast. But I remember, you know, that I guess Batman's so supposed to be perpetually thirty four years old, with Superman perpetually thirty five, and that's hard for me to fathom. It really is not because I'm older than that, but. Um, it's because, you know, Batman seems so grizzled and, you know, almost you know, like just just beaten down by his war at times. Like, there's no way he can be 34. And but at the same time, it, it's like, OK, but he's you know, he's been basically fighting this since he was eight years old. Of course it would be. So they, you have that backstory. But here's Green Arrow admitting like man, I'm done. I'm, I'm in my 40s now. I don't know how much more I have left. Um, mm-hmm. It should be noted this this was in the 80s when, you know, health science and, you know, physi- health physiology and, you know, exercise science was not what it is today. So 40 was, you know, a lot older back then, and especially for someone, as you state, was powerless. It had no superhuman abilities that was basically relying on his intellect and his, um, his, his own fighting ability which you know he he was not he was certainly one of the top but he wasn't the best Mm -hmm. um i mean he was if you were if taking out the normal street level thugs you know green arrow's gonna be just fine but when he was going up against uh you know some of the super powered people he was gonna take a beating and he knew it um he would probably still come out in the end but he was gonna take a beating and but Green Arrow is really us. And the, and and for those of you who may not have watched the series or have watched the series, when you read this, you know for sure that this was the tone that the producers of Arrow said, "Here's our show right here. This is it." Um and I like it because he's he's basically he's going up against street level crime. There's not a whole lot of um, I like the street level yeah, stuff. It's very uh, cool. Absolutely. So yeah, that's a great one, Phil. And uh, I'm, I'm glad you picked it as number your number two. Um, my number two is Finding Gossamer. Oh, Finding Gossamer. Um, this was a book I picked up just because of the way it looked. Like I a circled, Disney movie. Oh, that's exactly yeah. I'm a, that's exactly what I'm about to say. I've circled back to this fantasy tale a number of times during the life of the panel scanners. It was my very first end of the year award winner for favorite title. Sarah Ellerton was my first pick for favorite artist. It had completed its first arc and teased a new arc in the spring of 2014. A free comic book day issue emerged in May of 2014, which Phil was kind enough to grab for me because I somehow missed it. Then crickets, Uh, a Facebook post that Phil showed me. Uh, teased a late 2014 date, but silence since then. I did see that they had started some webtoon sort of thing, um, but it didn't look like it was accessible. Or I, I checked it out a while back, and it wasn't accessible. Then it was, then it wasn't again. 
um, but it looked like all they were doing was posting the original issues. Um, and Phil's right. The book felt and looked very Disney-esque. It was an all-ages tale that managed to be thrilling and a touching rewind to classic storytelling. Um, it was so good. It was beautiful. It still may be the most beautiful book I've seen since we started this podcast, and it's something that I want to go back and reread. I guess I still hope for the best, but I, I, I know I included it on one of our lists that I finally just said, I can't believe this is not coming back, but it, it's gone. But then, yeah, by my three, my three and two, Mercenary Sea and Finding Gossamer, two that just should have been still running today, but sadly just couldn't find a long life. All right, man. Uh, here we go. Here we Number go. Number one. This is the comic that actually kicked this idea off for me. Now, will uh, I have any shot at getting this? You might. Mm-hmm. Give it a go. All right. So the biggest surprise. I think I've now, referenced I a few times. thought it was going to be the superior Spider-Man, which it would make sense because when you say, yeah, uh, Doc Ock's actually inhabiting the brain of Peter Parker and he's now Spider-Man, there's no way I'm thinking this is going to be good, but. Do you know how messed up it is that that didn't even cross my mind when I was making this list? That's crazy. As I thought yeah, that would have well, been number one. Um, I, I'm, I'm trying to think, like, everything that we've read and everything we've gone through. Um, I would have said Black Science, but that's already been mentioned. Deadly Class has already been mentioned. Um, is it is one we've you've been reading as we have been producing the podcast? Uh, yeah. Okay. Is it one you're currently reading? No. Okay, it's one that's ended. Um, oh, oh, so it's not Venom, because um, that's still going, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, man, this is a tough one. Uh, certainly not going to be the Avengers versus X-Men, which you've mentioned tonight. Um, I'm, I'm, am I in the ballpark? No. Okay. Is it Marvel? No. I feel like I should know this, Phil. I really do. Um, do you want me to just say it? <laughs> is it Six-Gun Gorilla? It is Six Gun Gorilla. Yes. Yeah, I read that Six too. You gave it to me. Yeah, uh, Six Gun Gorilla was the first comic. I th- I'm pretty sure it was the first comic during this podcast that was non-Marvel that I picked up. Um, simply because I thought the cover looked cool. A uh, giant it's the best gorilla. Best reason to pick up a comic. With 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 guns, right? Uh, two giant pistols in his hands jumping at the, the reader um so six gun gorilla uh, if you're not aware with it, it takes place in a world called blister it's colonized by humans sometime in the 22nd century it's a highly contested source of fertile land and natural resources and basically there's this tv show in which if you participate in it you will get one wish granted to you uh and our main character blue uh is going through this and he makes friends with a biosurgically modified silverback gorilla that is toning a pair of huge revolvers and it's kind of their advent and there's this question of if this silverback is even real over it's in his head and it's just this crazy thing um and it's like his psychological breakdown and realizing that he's basically went out to the the lands just let himself die um and oh man honestly i vaguely remember all of it but i remember 
like loving it pick of the month every single time yeah every single time that i went into it matter of fact you you were mentioning this earlier doing something that we read during the podcast as a retro review i think six young gorilla would be a fun one for me because i haven't revisited it since 2014 so it's been a while uh and i i think that it it would be worth reading again it's just this surprisingly deep story of nonsense and it's a simon spurrier book uh jeff stokely does the art and that was my introduction to simon spurrier remember i said earlier in the episode no it was my second i i do remember that one of the reasons i was leaning into it was because i enjoyed x-men legacy so much and i found out he had written it so i thought that there was potential that it could be good and uh it, i mean the surprise was i how much i absolutely loved something that was non-superhero based it was starting to open my eyes to the world of what comic books actually could be instead of somebody with a cape or superpowers or living in a world that is full of supers um and that it could just be more about human nature and and just like weird environments and things like that and i i mean six gun gorilla is one of those things that just kind of really got me deeper into this thing that we love so much and it does and i i know i still have it i just saw it the other day sitting in my box of of comics of non-marvel lineage uh which those boxes are slowly starting to expand because i'm reading more and more non-marvel because there's so much good stuff out there and six gun gorilla is what kind of led me in that direction so if you haven't read it definitely read it and i know for a fact if you have comiXology it is one of the unlimited borrows oh man i i really enjoyed that that was such a fun read and you're right that the cover is so arresting like that's a gorilla with some big guns and then he had a he had a uh, uh, a bandolier didn't he as i remember i think so like i said it's been so long yeah, yeah maybe yeah it's so it was such a fun read I don't know what nope. I, don't, I don't know how you just see a, a cover like that and not pick it up. Nothing since then, other than shirtless bear fighter, has just grabbed me by the cover. What was the other one that we were reading together? Rock Candy Mountain. Uh, yeah, Rock Candy Mountain was fantastic. Yeah, that was good too. That was another one of those ones that was just way. I forgot out. about that. Yeah. That's really good. That came yeah. and went pretty quickly though, unfortunately. It's like ten issues. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, you ready for this? Now I will be surprised more if you don't get this one on the first try than if you um miss it i think you're gonna nail this right I, away i feel i also feel like you referenced it earlier and it's obviously atari force you are 100 percent correct that is exactly right <laughs> because this to me is the absolute epitome of a total surprise yeah. of a total complete like this is good um now when i set out to produce my retroactive review of Atari Force. That's Atari Force. You are thinking of Atari video games and you would be correct. This is what it's based on. This is back in the spring of 2015. I was, I gotta admit, I was being a little comic book elitist. I was doing this to be ironic. By then, I had produced a great number of retroactive reviews, and other than my indifferent review of DC's 1988 adaptation slash relaunch of Lee Falk's The Phantom, everything I had reviewed, I had glowed about. Now, right away, I want to take a pause. One of the very first ones I should have said was, for at least an honorable mention, maybe not in my top ten, but uh, the last 
Phantom. Do you remember this? Oh, film? It was yeah. one of the very first things I was reading on this podcast when we very when we first started it that I absolutely adored. It would have at least been an honorable mention. That's one of the ones I, I forgot. I vaguely remember him like riding off on like a giant snake or something. Don't remember that. But I know he was uh, there. Left on a cliffhanger, and then it never returned. Um, now I don't remember how I first learned of Atari Force. I was not surprised that it existed. You know, '80s excess, taking, trying to take advantage of everything that was there. But I remember having an off-air, off-air conversation about strange comic properties with Johnny, our old co-host at the Nervous Doll Coffee Bar, and we began poking around in the internet and came across it. We both sort of chuckled. The cover issue uh, of issue one was the Atari Force team posed, ready for action, not unlike what you would have seen during John Byrne's concurrent run on X-Men or George Perez's The New Teen Titans, but it just seems so silly. I mean, Atari Force, what could it possibly be about? It's Atari games were, what, four-bit graphics with maybe two or three tones of sound? Fun, very fun games. One of the best reasons to own own those games was the cover art on the games was magnificent. And then you put in the games and you're like, what the hell is this? It's a dot. Um, But this was a comic book series produced in the 80s by DC, which, like I said earlier, could not seem to turn in a bad book for a while. Same goes for Marvel during this time. It was the 80s, a magnificent time for comics production and content. Somehow, as silly as it all seemed... Atari Force kept pace with some of the top titles at the time. More to the point, Amazing Heroes, an early attempt at yearly comics standards in creation from artistic abilities to writing to inking to lettering, everything you could think of. Uh, It's basically what we have now come to know as the Eisner Awards, selected it as one of the top 10 books of 1984. That's Atari Force was selected by the industry standard as one of the top books in 1984, Atari Force. To put more of a fine point on this, here's a list of the company it kept during its brief run. The top book at the time was Swamp Thing. Now this is Alan Moore's run on Swamp Thing, legendary. Number two was John Sable, a sort of James Bond character written by Mike Grell, who Phil and I just talked about with Green Arrow and the Longbow Hunters, and which we retroactive reviewed in Panel Scanners number 113. American Flag by Howard Chaikin, a name that you uh, longtime listeners will be familiar with. The Teen Titans. This is the Wolfman and Perez ones I just referenced. Fantastic Four. This is John Byrne on the Fantastic Four. X-Men. This is during the defining run of X-Men during the 1980s with Chris Claremont. Blue Devil by Dan Mishkin, and in at number eight comes Atari Force. Um, rounded out by Doctor Strange and something known as Power Pack from Marvel, another teen-based comic. So Atari Force was keeping some pretty prestigious company, and for good reason, because it's really freaking good. Um, it sort of starts with... Uh, for more, So for more on this, you can catch my first review of DC's 1984 in episode 31 of the panel scanners. And then I cycled back to the original four comics that were four comics that were packaged with various Atari games back in the panel scanners, episode 57. Um, 
now this thing I, I don't even know where to start because you you should read the four issues they're mini comics that were you know in size not in um, length but in size um, but the, the first ones I believe were drawn by George Perez um, That's crazy yeah and I know sword quest would be its spiritual cousin was also joined drawn drawn by George Perez um, it was you should read the first four because it sets up the uh, the, the ongoing series, which debuts in 1984. Now, the interesting thing about this, like Atari Force doesn't come out until 1984. Now, Phil, you and I both know the great video game crash is 1983. So this is actually a year following when video games sort of took its little nap for a while, like Commodore 64, Atari, and some other uh, gaming systems out there, if I'm, I'm sure, Coleco, um, Vision were big business in the early, late 70s, early 80s. And then the whole industry goes under. And a lot of it's blamed on the E.T. video game. It's so much more involved than just that. But the whole industry goes under, right? And it doesn't reemerge until later in the 80s when uh, the Famicom comes over to the United States, known uh, colloquially in the United States as... Oh, the Nintendo. Yeah, the Nintendo Entertainment System. So... I mean, Atari, you could you could say Atari probably killed the industry all on its own. Um, but this thing comes out, and it's it's just so darn good. Of course, it doesn't, you know, it's not one of the top sellers, but in terms of just being really, really good, it's written by Jerry Conway. So, so we've covered Jerry Conway multiple times on this podcast. And it's just something that I read because I it was one of those things like, really, I was an Atari fan. You've seen me wearing Atari T-shirts and stuff like that. So I picked it up thinking, all right, I, I want to do a, a, a retro review where I tear into something, where I got to pick something that's just that was done merely to capitalize on a hot property and is just trash. And I picked this thing up, and I think I remember telling you, like, I was going to do this. I'm like, Phil, this thing's good. And you're like, no, it's not. I'm like, no, Phil, this thing is really good. I am stunned at how good this thing is. Um, so... I mean, I don't know how many podcasts are out there that are going to tell you that you should absolutely be reading Atari Force, but if that's what you're looking for, you came to the right place, man. <laughs> man, every time you talk about that, it just blows my mind that it was actually good and that you love it so much and speak such highly of it. I am going to make an Atari Force t-shirt. I don't know why. I will absolutely <laughs> wear it. I'll wear it to, like... I want to wear this thing. If I'm ever going to go to like a major convention, especially like I, the one we have here in Cleveland's great, but it's in the middle of February, so it's freezing outside. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, if we ever go to like Comic Con in San Diego, I'm totally going to make an Atari Force T-shirt, and I want, I'm going to dare anybody to come on and go, Atari Force! My God, it's awesome! Like really? Because I there's got to be some more, more some some other people out there. I remember talking to John about it. That, and so I, I mentioned earlier in my uh, for my number five or my my number six of my number six entry was micronauts that i was i ran into john i ran into him it was in his shop um mm-hmm. and i was like man i just finished reading atari force the thing was really really good he goes i know and he told me about the amazing hero things and he goes you should check out micronauts i'm like of course i'm gonna check out micronauts um so it's just such a it was such a fun read oh man well as always this was a blast yeah it really was Lots fun of- Lots of good stuff to talk about. Did you and, think I mean, of any other ones? Because I just like Sword Quest was one I one I was one I was going to tell you about. 
I, yeah, yeah, I, I meant to tell you in here. I, I, as soon as we stop, you'll think of them. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. Like, I, I know there's a bunch of stuff in there that, that I mean, even like Rock Candy Mountain, like just the the various things that we've read. We've read so much, mm-hmm. and and I read so much on a monthly that like it's hard for me to to maintain all of them in my brain. Like, it just becomes too difficult. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are others. Like you mentioned, even Venom, uh, this current run on Venom is way better than it should be. And it's surprising. And, like, I don't know. There, there's a lot. I mean, and I think that's part of the beauty of what we do is that you never know when you're going to find that next thing that is just like, oh, man, like, this is so cool. I can't believe that this exists or that I haven't been reading this and it's been around forever well, I guess it's a I, testament to giving uh, something like this to someone who cares about it. Yeah. Like, I'm sure Jerry Conway wasn't like, I really want to be on ta- Atari for us. He was probably like, hey, we got this thing. See what you can do with it. And like, he's probably, I mean, he's like, all right, I'm going to go crazy with this thing. I mean, not dissimilar to what Jim Starlin did with Dreadstar. He wanted to, you know, you know, spread his wings, loosen the reins a little bit. So he comes up with this wacky Dreadstar space opera. You know, and yeah. that, that's the thing. You just give these, turn these things over to people who will do something with them that care about them, and they end up being really, really fun. And you know, you end up with something like what we have here tonight, our top ten most surprising reads. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. It absolutely was. So, uh, you got anything fun and exciting to plug or talk about? Not You're necessarily, good. considering I don't really know when this will. <laughs> so. That's fair. What, yeah, I'm we, sure we've you... talked about doing. Yeah, you like we were talked about doing this. So you talked about. I think I want to do a retroactive review of uh, Six Gun Gorilla. By the time this airs, you may have already done so. Mm, we've done that all night, not. though. It's it's that's the world we live in right now. It's sort of yeah, messing with our heads. Yeah, I don't know. I have a lot of uh, other stuff that I can knock out first. So maybe I'll make sure this airs beforehand. Yeah. Uh, well, regardless of when this airs, you can still follow us on Instagram at Panel Scanners. Uh, we generally post what we're reading at least i do uh darren slides them in every once in a while uh to kind of bump it up there too so you can generally tell by the quality of photo darren takes better pictures than i do uh so it's just kind of uh it's probably just the along phone. Those... What, what was that i'm sorry it's probably just the phone it's not anything i'm doing dark background nah, it helps yeah no it's just it's just because i'm reading in bed and i'm just taking snaps before i dive into the book that's all i could do better i know i could do better <laughs> But anyhow, uh, so I guess uh, we we had a lot to talk about. So until next time, hopefully you find something surprising and exciting to read and enjoy your comics. Yeah, and feel free to give us your list uh, through, I would say, Instagram is probably the best place. Yeah, Instagram or, you know, leave a message uh, on if you got this from Apple Podcasts or wherever, whatever it's called these days, Apple Music. I don't know. They change yeah. the names of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right, until then, enjoy your comics.